Years ago, I was walking through Tyler Mall in Riverside, California. I was about 16, 17 years old. And I was walking right down the center of the mall. You know how they have those little kiosks that you could buy stuff out in the middle of the mall? And this one had, oh, a dozen or more pictures. Well, I guess you could call them pictures. Really, what they looked like was colorful static And there was people who were standing around and they were saying things like, if you stare long enough, you could see a 3D picture pop out at you. About a minute later, I was absolutely convinced that Alan Funt was going to jump out from behind the corner and say, smile, you're on candid camera. If you are too young to know about candid camera, you have to Google that this afternoon. Not right now, we're preaching, okay? Now, eventually, I understood what was going on, but I never got good at it. In fact, this last June, I was back at my dad's house helping him move into a new place, and I found one of his magic eye books. That's what they're called, magic eye. And for the life of me, I couldn't do it. Is it old eyes? Maybe. Whatever. But there is a point to be made. You see what you look at. Or more precisely, you see what you focus on. What you pay attention to. What it is you value and so you want to absorb. We've been talking about worldviews lately. We've been talking about how it is that you choose to see the world. And this is of more importance than literally Anything and everything else. How you choose to view the world determines heaven or hell. If you choose to believe that the only things that really exist are the things that you can touch, then abortion, for example, is a no-brainer. Put the kid out of its misery. Take the fetus out and put it in the trash can. At least it won't suffer. Except it does suffer And so does the mom, and usually others as well. If you choose instead to view the world as if Christ is sovereign and Christ is sufficient, then you will take radical steps of faith-building risks to do everything you can for the baby and the mother. Therefore, if you miss everything else I say today, Choose to see the world through Christ. Now, seeing the world through materialistic eyes has other consequences as well. For example, the question, are you more valuable than a dog? Now, listen, this is an important question in this culture for some reason with a very real and not simply theoretical consequences. There are vast numbers of people, some of whom call themselves Christian, who are gravely mistaken on this exact point. Are you more valuable than a tree? Are you more valuable than a forest? If you don't have a Christian worldview, if you don't see the world as if Christ is supreme and Christ is sufficient, then you just don't have any idea and you'll... Come up with all kinds of things that are more valuable than people. Now, I would love to dig more deeply into this, but allow me to sum up. 
Because you are created in the image of God, you are not only more valuable than a dog, but you are infinitely more valuable than a dog. Now, this does not mean that we should abuse dogs. I am a dog lover. And ironically, it is those who have most valued human life that have also most cared for dog life. That, again, is another sermon. Instead, this morning I want to land on that aspect of the image of God that Paul is most concerned with here in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1-4. through 4. And that is our capacity to choose what we dwell on. It is what some philosophers have called our ability to self-transcend, to step outside of ourselves, so to speak, and view our situation as if we were someone else. You can say to yourself, wait a minute, I don't want to think about that, and then do what you need to do to stop thinking about that and instead think about something else. You have the capacity to imagine yourself differently than you are right now. You have the capacity to think about what it would take to change your life. For example, you have nothing to eat. You're hungry. So you think about it. Well, I go get myself a job. And then I get my paycheck. I go to the supermarket. I buy some food. I fire up the barbecue when I get home. And I start eating chicken with that spicy red sauce that makes your lips sting. And oh, so good takes you about 10 napkins to clean up. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Come on, guys. Are you asleep? Woo! I mean, this is where we're talking about. And it is this ability to get messy with barbecue chicken oh, yeah. that separates you from the chicken that you eat. You are more valuable than the chicken you eat because you, unlike the chicken, are made in the image of of God. And it also points to what Paul does not want you to miss. You can choose what you dwell on, which is why we must choose to see the world through Christ. Let's see where Paul is going with this in Colossians 3, 1 through 4. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Colossians 3, 1-4. through Today we're going to focus again on a couple of themes that we've We've already hit upon during this tour through Colossians. And the first one is hope. That strength of soul that enables you to endure. And we're also going to hit on the topic of the fact that you need to be heavenly minded if you are going to be of any earthly good. Indeed, we'll begin to see this week and we'll definitely land on next week those very practical steps that you and I need to take so our hope empowers us to be of earthly good to those who are around us. C.S. Lewis will make my point for me. He says, Hope is one of the theological virtues. 
This means that a continual looking forward to the eternal world is not, as some modern people think, a form of escapism or wishful thinking, but one of those things a Christian is meant to do. It does not mean that we are to leave this present world as it is. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for this present world were just those who thought the most of the next. The apostles themselves who set on foot the conversion of the Roman Empire, the great men who built the Middle Ages, the English evangelicals who abolished the slave trade, all left their mark on earth precisely because their minds were occupied with heaven. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. Aim at heaven and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. Do you really want to accomplish something good for the ethical treatment of dogs and chickens and trees? Then view the earth through the eyes of Christ, through the lens of heaven. My friends, these kinds of Christians have been changing the world for millennia. Without heavenly-minded Christians, there would have never been a university created. No hospitals, no modern science, no society for the prevention of cruelty to animals. No hope. Here again is how Paul puts it. He says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. Now, there are, of course, a lot of wackos who get so heavenly minded that they are of no earthly good. Is that what Paul's talking about? Does Paul advocate an abandonment of the world here? Are we to put on white robes and climb the nearest hill, sit cross-legged and say, Oh, well, obviously not. What then? Now here we get to one of the greatest thinkers that North America has ever produced. Jonathan Edwards. Edwards was faced with the task of helping believers, just like you and me, helping believers understand how what they thought, what they valued, combined into what they actually did. How they acted in the real world around us. He called his book, The Religious Affections. If you're interested, Sam Storms wrote an excellent abridgment of it. Religious Affections. And trust me, hang in here for just two minutes. It will be worth it. Let's start with the fact that you have a mind and you have a heart. Your mind is that immaterial part of you that thinks. And your, your heart is that immaterial part of you that values or it chooses. It, it either loves or hates something. Now, of course, you could be thinking, for example, of homemade chili and cornbread which would, of course, make you very happy. And your heart, then, if it's a healthy heart, will give hearty approval to the idea of chili and cornbread. Unless, of course, you've lost your mind. And these thoughts and affections will combine into an action. And that action will be to come here 6 p.m. at Grace and you bring your own chili and cornbread because I really want to taste it. 
and we'll have a great time together. See how this all works? It's really good. By the way, I'm, I'm hungry right now. Does anybody have any chili? No. Okay. But let's dig a little deeper. Let, let's talk about something a little more weighty. Let's say, hypothetically, of course, because no one here would struggle with this, let's say you struggle with discontentment. Everyone on Facebook is always happy. Everyone on Facebook is always coming up with these great vacations. Everyone on Facebook has all these wonderful kids. How come my kids aren't as good as, as those people's kids? Give me one parent who's immune to all that, and I'll give you one parent who lies. But that's another sermon. But let's see. If you struggle with that kind of discontentment, does God's word address fake book? Could we learn something from the Bible that would apply to that? Hmm. Why, yes, it does. 1 Timothy 6.6 Godliness with contentment brings great gain. My friends, memorize this promise. Think about this promise. Internalize this promise. Personalize this promise. Trust this promise of God for you in Christ when fake book tempts you to think I need something else. By the way, I just read an article this week. It was a really long article, but the punchline of the whole article was this quote. The more time teens spend looking at screens, the more likely they are to report symptoms of depression. Ah, that wouldn't apply to adults. No way. Now, of course, it is absolutely true. You can have your affections and your heart that are ruled or guided by what you see on Facebook. Or you can have your affections that are ruled and guided by heaven. And Paul tells us here that what you need is an initial work of the Holy Spirit if you are going to have godly affections. But then you need to set about your heart and your will to disciplining your flesh so that what's feeding your affections is that which is in fact godly, that which in fact empowers you, that strengthens your soul so that you can find the hope that is able to reject discontentment when someone else goes on vacation and you're stuck at home. Then, and only then, will you have the better vision and you will be able to see the world through Christ. Okay, let's talk Turkey. Paul starts off right away in verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ. First of all, before any, anything else of this discussion happens, you need to understand, you need to be saved. You need to be raised with Christ. You need to be trusting the promises of God for you in Christ. And if that is not you, if you're not sure that you're a Christian, turn to God. Say, Lord, I need you. I need you to forgive me of my sins. I need you to heal me. I need you to draw me to yourself. I repent. 
In fact, nothing else I'm going to say is as important as that if that's your place. Do it right now. Go to Him and He will receive you. But then the second point that Paul makes is he says, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Seek the things that are above. Like what? What could you be talking about, Paul? Well, he answers that fortunately. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And when you do, the God of peace will be with you. Question, how much of your time is spent thinking ungodly things? I'm not talking about work. I'm not talking about groceries or chores. These secular things are godly things when you view your life in terms of heaven, when you see the world through Christ. But how often do we fill our thoughts with ungodly music or movies or gossip? Some of you might be thinking right now, don't judge me. I'm not judging, sister. I'm discerning. I'm not condemning. I'm not belittling. I'm just pointing out. I'm simply asking the question. If the music you listen to is full of adultery, brother, why are you surprised that you have adulterous thoughts? If the websites you view are full of bitter, petty people, sister, why are you surprised that you aren't satisfied with your situation and you gripe at your less than Brad Pitt husband? Brad Pitt isn't as good as Brad Pitt. I mean, let's be honest. Indeed, we need to see the world through Christ. You are created in the image of God. Therefore, you can choose what you think about. You can choose what influences what you think about. It will take effort. It will take discipline. It will take tears. But choose wisely and preach the good news to yourself so that you will have hope. You will have the strength of soul you need to choose what you are thinking about. Am I investing my time in things that will make me a better person or a bitter person? Will my time and my thoughts make me more covetous or bitter or selfish? Or will my thoughts make me love Jesus more and love the people that He has put around me? Will I be encouraged to sacrifice for the good of those who are near me? Will I celebrate what He has done so that I will have a thankful heart that is immune to so much of the disease that the world seeks to put into my soul. Start easily. Look, take out your iPhone and get the Desiring God app. In it, you'll find a really short devotional and you'll be able to read it in the morning while you're sitting there eating your breakfast. 
I've also signed up for a devotional that is people who are editing Ray Steadman's works, and they send you an email every day, and you get it's longer than this. It takes a couple minutes. I usually do it late morning is when I do that particular devotional. But I take time. It's kind of like you go diving in way underwater and you're loving it. There's all kinds of things to look at, but you got to swim up there real quick and take a deep breath. Take that breath of fresh air that will strengthen you so that you will be able to have the strength of soul to have hope in light of the world about you. And Paul continues, set your mind on things that are above, not on things of the earth. You guys have heard me use this illustration about your mind being in neutral before. You know what I'm talking about. You're in the shower washing your hair. What are you thinking about? Do you think about your shampoo? Well, obviously I don't. I have any hair to clean. But what about when you're driving down the freeway? You're not actively thinking about changing gears. Your mind's in neutral. I'm not talking about those times you're taking a test or you're reading a recipe or you're following some instructions, but your mind is just in neutral. Well, when that happens, what are you thinking about? Where does your mind go? Setting your mind on things above means that when your mind goes into neutral, you self-consciously think about turning your thoughts that will bring glory to God and joy to your heart. Instead of cursing the driver in front of you, pray for him. Pray for his family. Pray for his soul. Instead of thinking about whatever new toy it is that you want, think about how you can bring glory to God with the toys you already have. For that matter, if there's a toy that you either have or want, and you can't imagine, how would I bring glory to God by using this? Hmm. Maybe you shouldn't have that toy. Instead of singing 90s alternative hits, listen to an audio Bible or a sermon from your favorite pastor. You will be amazed at what just changing a couple of little habits can do for your outlook on the world and giving your soul strength so it can fight the battles that lead to discontentment. And speaking of habits, our ministry fair is coming up. Again, I want to emphasize, come and take part in it. Come up with an idea of what you think we ought to be doing as a church. Talk to me now about it so that we can get the ball rolling and make a difference in the city of Santa Maria, California. Here is where Matthew Henry speaks grace and truth to our soul. He says, The joy of the Lord will arm us against the assaults of our spiritual enemies and put our mouths out of taste for those pleasures with which the tempter baits his hooks. Piper comments on that sentence. This is the great business of life, to put our mouths out of taste for the, those pleasures which, with which the tempter baits his hooks. I know of no other way to triumph over sin long term than by faith to die with Christ to our old seductions. That is, what do you mean, Piper? That is to gain a distaste for them because of a superior satisfaction in God. 
Change what you think about, especially when your mind is in neutral, and you will change what you enjoy. I used to be amazed that we would be hungry and be driving down the road and there was a fast food joint over there and my dad didn't appear to be tempted at all. I'm like, man, what would it be like to live in a world where you're not tempted to fast food? Yeah, I still struggle with that 40 years later. But the point is, is you can train your heart not to be tempted by those things that are tempting you right now. Yes, you can. By the grace of God, working in you to strengthen you to accomplish kingdom purposes, you can be strengthened because the promises of God start to penetrate your heart and give you strength of soul to fight the battles that you need to fight. Invest in God's word and his people and you will begin to see great strides in your war. I've been saying it all summer. Get a copy of this book. Get someone to drink coffee with you. Go through it with them. Learn five of the promises of God for you and Christ and take eight lessons on how you can apply those promises to your life in everyday situations that we all struggle through. And you will find your soul strengthened. It takes time. It takes discipline. It takes grace, which is forgiveness, and which is power to accomplish kingdom purposes. And it takes hope. Remember, hope is that power of soul in times of great stress and anxiety, not just to endure the evil day, but to be joyful and to fill our lives with the fruits of righteousness. And this hope only comes when we see the world through Christ. And Paul gives us this hope. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Now here, Paul gives us two very specific reasons why hope should empower the discipline you need to change you're thinking. Verse 3, For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Now breathe for a second. Here, my friends, is the glorious, hope-breathing, life-affirming, world-changing, good news. Here in this verse is heaven come to earth in you that abolishes slavery, that abhors racism, and ends abortion. Good news. You don't need to be afraid anymore. You, Christian, have already died. Physical death has no Hold on you. Satan has no call on you. <coughs> Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Just like the fruit tree whose roots go deep in the soil to bring up water and nutrients, you have your life empowered by the source of life. 
Christian, you have nothing to be afraid of anymore. Hope, trust, grace, love. Choose that which gives you the power of soul to be more than conquerors in the day of trouble. Choose hope. Choose that which you can trust, the promises of God rather than the promises of the world. Choose trust. Choose that which empowers you to accomplish that which really is worth investing your time in. Investing your treasure in. Investing your blood, sweat, and tears. Choose grace. Choose that which strengthens you to love, the sacrifice for the good of those that God puts near you. Choose love. Choose these things by choosing to know, to understand, to trust, and to continually rehearse in your mind the promises of God for you in Christ. Which is the same thing as saying, preach the good news to yourself. Every day. And all day. Fill your life with hope and trust and grace and love rather than depression and bitterness and discontentment. You know what causes your heart to experience those because the Holy Spirit is telling you that right now. You by the grace of God and the power of His Holy Spirit through the Word of God, can choose the strength of soul, the hope you need to reject those things, to put them behind you, and to walk forward. Perfectly? Of course not. Will you struggle? Yep. Will it take a lot of work? Blood, sweat, tears? You betcha. But you can start today. And it gets better than that. Paul continues. He says, When Christ, who is your life, appears, you will also appear with Him in glory. Christian, you know where you're going. And where you are going is where you want to be. This last week, my family and I went to Hume Lake. It was the first time Donna and I had ever been there. And it reminded me of a thought that I try to continually remind myself of that is so easy to forget. For example, I drive south of here out of town and I see these hills dotted with oak trees. Oh, it just, it makes my heart happy when I do that. They remind me, these hills with oaks, that I will appear with Jesus in glory. Follow me here. There's so much more to glory than what I'm about to say. But, in fact, there's infinitely more because we're going to be in heaven with God forever, always discovering new reasons for glory. But this is where my heart is right now. Okay. I can't just go running through those hills with oak trees like I would like to. Number one, I don't own them. I don't know who owns them. I don't have permission. Secondly, I don't have time. I I would love to just spend years and years and years running through those oak trees. But you know what? I've got a job to do. I've got to bring other people to glory. And I frankly have to feed my family. But 
I can't go do that also because I don't have the physical ability that I will someday to just endlessly run and climb and sit and enjoy and discover. And oh, I can't wait. But you know the real reason why I can't go running through those oak dotted hills yet? Poison oak. One day, poison oak will be redeemed. Maybe mayonnaise will too. But just ask those firefighters what they think of poison oak as the ones who are battling, were battling the Whittier fire. One day, I will run through those hills with energy unbounded. I won't be afraid of snakes or bulls or poison oak. Oh, my goodness. Seriously, people, this is so awesome. I can't wait. And while we await Jesus' return, while we await His new kingdom that He will bring to His people, we also get to taste the glory by looking at the oaks and by going to oaks that we can see or going to Hume Lake and we can see, oh my God, Goodness, how glorious it is right now. Imagine when sin is no longer in the way, how glorious it will be. That is mind-changing, faith-building, life-giving, heart-renewing hope. Taste and see that the Lord is good. One of my favorite mini-poems. Earth is crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God. But only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round and pluck blackberries. Browning is telling us that if we have eyes to see and ears to hear, if we seek the things that are above while we are living on this earth, We will find that what is truly glorious, what is truly life-changing and hope-filled and grace-giving, it's there right now. Then, when we see it, oak trees aflame with the glory of God instead of just picking acorns. We will see And we will experience the strength of soul that we need to choose life today. This week, take a moment. Enjoy the oaks. Take your sermon notes with you as well and memorize Colossians 3, 16 and 17. See, however faintly for the moment, the fire of God burning hope into your soul so that you will live for His glory, for your joy, and for the growth of His kingdom. Aim at heaven and you will get the earth thrown in. Aim at the earth and you will get neither. Take your time this week to see the world through Christ.